Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. It is a beautiful day in New York as we're recording. It's today's Thursday. I someone actually told me the other day, Thursday nights are the best nights of the weekend. And I don't disagree with that now. Like hearing out the rationale. Like Friday night, you're already basically like halfway done the weekend. And at that point, like you're kind of getting the Sunday scaries on Saturday, like Saturday <laughs> evening at that point. So it's like, I, I can see why Thursday nights, you're looking forward to Friday, chiller day of the week. I I get it. I get it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But what's good, Rian? How are you doing? We're talking a little Spain today and a little bit of uh, other things around Europe. But uh, did you get a chance to do anything else this week? Anything else this week? Oh, I got to watch Chelsea. Oh kind of on top in their in their quarterfinal, of course, against uh, Porto. But I mean, also we saw we'll get onto the Bayern PSG <laughs> game. Like we saw a wild game there, and then Tuesday Tuesday was more or less routine games. I mean, um, oh wow! I mean, wow! You mean you mean you mean <laughs> routine? Sorry, <laughs> I, mean, I guess you could say City's win was routine, but like the actual the actual game was a bit more back was fairly back and forth actually. Um, yeah, and. Liverpool and Real Madrid, which I, we will definitely talk about, um, <laughs> I think, right, in the Real Madrid section. But um, Trent, it did not help his case for for get <laughs> to the uh, Euros this summer with that game. But I'm I sure. literally texted Rian right after the second goal, and I was like, "Yeah, he's not going to the Euros. <laughs> that that was it." Uh, I'm sure he'll. Ba- I'm sure he'll bounce back. I mean, we, we'll. We'll have a lot more to say about that as the season as the season comes to a close here. So oh oh we will oh we a hundred percent will. Yeah. Don't you but worry. I, but I, I totally I do totally agree with you on the Thursday Friday feeling. Right? Thursday's a vibe. Yeah. The and the energy on Thursday nights in normal, in, normally in the city, is very outgoing. Like I mean. It is perfect because most people are very okay with going to work on Fridays hungover. And now that we're not actually going into the offices, like, <laughs> just waking up and the it. vaccine. Yeah. And the vaccines are vaccine rollout is going well in New York here. And it's leaving very little excuse for excuses for people to um, not be violently hungover on a Friday morning. True. True. Dude, people here are just built different. That's what I've realized. I'm not, I'm not from here. I'm not built like that. I'm just saying people are built different. <laughs> it's just, just <laughs> okay. a walk of life. <laughs> But yeah, why don't we move on to more pertinent things in in today's <laughs> episode? You you started with Real Madrid, so let's let's start there. Um, Real Madrid probably playing the best two games of their season over the last week, right? Best performances against Ibar, right? Two 0 win with two, two additional goals ruled out for offside, um, and of course a three one win in the Champions League against Liverpool and honestly that was one of the best Champions League games I've seen from Real Madrid since probably 2016-2017 when Ronaldo just went on a tear it was a really complete performance but Rian let's talk let's talk about firstly kind of their game against Ibar and how that bled into the Champions League game against Liverpool I mean during this game, you saw early chances from Benzema. You saw really, really good chance from Asensio. Obviously, he got on the score sheet. It seems to me, with Asensio now scoring, I believe, seven or so goals now in his last nine games, just almost a massive resurgence, that we're going to see some sort of 4-3-3 moving forward for Real Madrid, where... Asensio, Benzema, and Vinicius make up that front three. It's almost like Asensio is playing the role that they expected Hazard to play. Yeah, I mean, also, Asensio seems like he's starting to recover from that ACL injury, which, is it now two years ago? Yeah, two years ago now, during the preseason preseason game. And I think it's fair that most of this season has been 
about like trying to get back to where he was in um two years ago and i remember specifically that game too because he was really good in that preseason game and it, and it really felt like that was about to be his breakout season right and obviously he gets a setback but now it feels like he's trusting his body more and he's starting to look a bit more like the guy that they were hoping would develop organically and become a key part of this team without them having to go and and spend the money that they did on on Eden Hazard although that was going to happen no matter what but Asensio being someone that Zidane can trust and play on the field now is huge for their last month here as Atleti starts to kind of crumble within themselves and Real Madrid look extremely stable right now and I don't know, man. I don't I don't think that there is a midfield trio in the last six to seven six years, let's say. The last five to six years that is better than that has been better than Modric, Cruz, and Casemiro. And I feel like I said this a few times before, but if you have if that's your three in the middle, you're you're probably gonna be okay. Your your baseline for how Poor the performances can be for the team is exponentially higher than anyone else. And when you have like a midfield trio that complements each other in terms of like their dynamics perfectly, and and that's really what these guys do. They do complement each other perfectly. Then they will always, always be at least like a seven out of ten when they're together, right? And then the team performance itself takes itself to another level and and it provides stability that has not been there for a lot of a lot of the season for real madrid right um they haven't had these guys all healthy together basically until the last month or two so yeah this team looks dangerous once again and after what they did against uh liverpool without sergio ramos there there really is a three-team race now I, i i cannot believe it i can't believe that it's gotten to this point but um but yeah atletico are truly limping and from where real madrid felt like they were six months ago especially when they went into that last group stage game in champions league potentially not being able to get through to the knockout stages i mean this is it's a basically a different team it's basically a different season honestly yeah it it almost is reminiscent of how Real Madrid approached like the post lockdown period, right? When we, when football came back and the league in 2019, 2020 was basically in Barcelona's hands, Real Madrid went on a 12 game tear, won every single game and won out the league. It feels like we're almost posed for Real Madrid to do, to do something like that, which is why I think this weekend's Clasico, which we'll get into the Barcelona section is so important for for the purpose of the league. I would argue that Real Madrid's game against Liverpool was a perfect example of what this team can achieve when everyone is playing at their peak. That's the problem with Real Madrid, though. Not everyone and not consistent, excuse me, not consistently will players in this starting 11 play uh, to, to their maximum capacity. Modric, for example, I would argue hasn't played his best football since 2020, like the end of 2020. And we're starting to see that resurgence now as Real Madrid are almost up against the wall. They know that they need to win every game in order to have a chance at winning La Liga. And it's possible that they do, but it's equally possible that Barcelona or Atletico continue. Well, I should say Barcelona continue to win. Atletico fend off the other two. But this is a true three-horse race, 100% agreed. Like, you cannot, and I said this two weeks ago, be wary of Real Madrid. It's not like they're six points behind Barcelona. They are one point behind Barcelona. That can be made up in the Clasico easily. So I'm very nervous for this weekend, but I would not call Real Madrid favorites just yet. I think favorites will be determined after the Clasico. I, I honestly think a lot rests on this weekend's game. Yeah, and that's like the the big positive for Atletico, right? Is that no matter what, 
both of these teams aren't getting three points this weekend, right? And Atletico have to take care of business themselves, and we know how difficult that's been for them recently, but they can at least rest on at least one of these teams will suffer a setback, and if they're lucky, both, and they'll draw, right? So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I still think that I would put Barcelona ahead of them in terms of favorites to be able to finish this off, but you said it, just like last season, and I think we t- talked about it at the end of last season, too, like, this Real Madrid team, when they're given just a straightforward objective, like, okay, these next six weeks, if we play at our highest level, that we can win the league, and there's no, like, no, like, something around the corner, no, no, uh, granted, yeah. they have the Champions League to, to worry about, too, right, but they know what the objective is, and they can see it there, the finish line is there, and they are at their best when I think that they just kind of keep their heads down and and they are kind of going after one particular either competition or or one particular goal, right? And it's scary. It's a scary team. It's a, it's a scary team um, when when they're pulling each other pulling with each other like like they are right now, right? And they feel like more of a Champions League threat now than they did. I mean, obviously, now than they did before during the group stages, but they feel like a, more of a threat now, even compared to a month ago. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I would argue that Real Madrid maybe has the easiest schedule out of the top three going towards the end of the season. I mean, the only top teams that they really play are Sevilla, debatably Athletic Club, and Villarreal. The, the rest are Hitafe, Cadiz. Real Betis, Osasuna, Granada. So, I mean, they can still drop those points, and this is obviously outside of the Clasico, and they can still drop points there, but chances are they don't. So, Clasico really matters. Yeah, this is a big one. I mean, <laughs> well, we'll, talk, we'll preview it more when we get to Barcelona, but um, I think LSU kind of told me that you, you think it's the biggest one in, what, four years? I, I do, I do. I think this is going to be the biggest Clasico since 2017 when both teams were in a very similar position. Obviously this is the game where Messi scored the 90th minute goal, three to the final score. Real Madrid still went on to win the league, but that game shaped doubt into their league campaign, like serious doubt. And you can see it in the way they almost collapsed when Messi scored that 90th minute winner. Iconic so, images from that game icon- too. Oh, that jersey. The game where I- in the Bernabeu he takes off his jersey and just <laughs> holds it up in front of the Madrid fans. Amazing. That, That's going to go in a museum. Oh, definitely. Yeah. He's got that one. He's got the one after the PSG game too, where he's like, where he looks yeah. genuinely like Jesus, and and everyone's <laughs> hands are like, are all trying to grab onto him as he as he's um I think he's standing on one of like the uh, the sideboards or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, I was there. I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, this is that's how important this is that game is. But we'll talk about it when we get to uh, to Barcelona. So, Rian, why don't we move on and talk about Atletico, probably the most woeful team out of any of the top three. Um, big game against Sevilla this past weekend. At no point <laughs> during this game did they look like they were going to win. In my opinion, I I thought they were lucky to even get that 90th minute shot against Bono that was saved brilliantly, but. Even Saul and Suarez combining just that was like their only real good chance of the entire game. I think Sevilla did a wonderful job keeping that them at bay just via the fullback position. I thought Sevilla almost suffocated them. Like they they just forced them back with pure numbers in the midfield. And Atletico could not pass out of it. I mean, they had one or two shots in the first half, but this wasn't impressive by Atletico by any means, and it was a deserved loss, in my opinion. Yeah, they they never were able to really take control of the game, and it's it was what two games in a row where they needed Jan Oblak to save a penalty. Uh, I mean, last week it was the week before. Sorry, it was extremely crucial because that held the win against Alaves, right? And that was in the last ten minutes of the of the match, right? This one. The penalty happens within the first 15 minutes, and again, he has to come to their rescue. But after that, I mean, I think Sevilla played really well, and it just 
the finishing is not happening for Atletico Madrid right now. And it's really interesting to look at the last time that they scored more than two goals. Basically, their season up until that point, they were ruthlessly efficient in terms of their finishing, right? So January 31st, which is a 4-2 win against Cadiz. And leading up to that point, they had overperformed their XG by over 10 goals, right? Their non-penalty expected goal difference per 90 was point basically 0.6 so really dominating in terms of chance creation and chances conceded right and now since then in their last 10 games that goal expected goal difference is now in the negatives it's it's they've underperformed by almost two goals and their non-penalty expected goal difference per 90 is only positive 0.16 which means now all of these games are really on a knife's edge in terms of the chances, right? And they're not, I mean, as, as simple as it sounds, they're just not finishing with the same efficiency. And that includes Luis Suarez himself, but that also includes the rest of the team. And I, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if there's an easy way to fix it and because uh, who can finish a team's like finishing who can just make people finish better that's very hard but when you're a team that plays on such thin margins as is right with the way that Diego Simeone's teams are set up when the tide kind of shifts and you're not getting either as lucky or being as efficient with your actual finishes right and where you place them in, in the power everything that comes with finishing um it can turn like this, and now every game is such a dogfight for them, and every game is on such an edge, and they can't get comfortable. No, I I, I completely agree. Every game is, in theory, a must-win for them, but let if you just take a look at the rest of the remaining games that Atletico have, they have a pretty difficult schedule. They play Real Sociedad, Barcelona, Athletic Club, and Real Betis in the next, what, nine match days, that's that's a really tough schedule. Real Betis away, Athletic Club away, Barcelona away. Like, that is all really, really tough. So you're going to be with a situation, too, if you're a Diego Simeone, where you're without Suarez for the next three weeks, at least. How do you get goals? Um, well, they haven't been coming through Suarez in the last couple of weeks. So, João Felix? Oh, wait. He doesn't start. So, <laughs> Simeone is in a really bad position here. Like, this is my honest opinion. Simeone is in a position where he has put himself now in a, in a place where he is basically going back in time. He is going, he's gone back in time and adopted what is known kind of in Spain as trollismo, right? Like this concept of Cholo Simeone, defensive, you know, very structured, very disciplined defending, and that's all we do well. They've reverted and essentially gone back to the mean. So is that enough for them to score goals and get by the next next nine match days with a higher points difference than Real Madrid and Barcelona? I don't think that answer is yes. That style of play is not going to beat, I, I would probably say objectively, Barcelona. That style of play I don't think will beat Bilbao and probably might drop points to Real Batista this weekend too. So Simeone is just not in a good spot here. I, I don't understand so many of their his tactical decisions since really the start of the year. And... I think it's led to, to part of this team's downfall. And the last thing I'll say on, on Atletico here, I think we're in a position where players of old, Koke, Saul in some ways, I think even players like Lorente, they might start doubting Simeone, which is not something that throughout their Champions League campaigns, right, 2014, 2016, et cetera, that may not have been something that's been there, right? Doubt in Diego Simeone. That's always been the one rock that they've been able to settle under. And I think you're starting to, to see some of these players maybe lose a little faith 
I'm not saying it's been public, but th that's my impression of things. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's also tough to play this playing style, especially when the two center mids, like in Koke and Sao and Niguez, are not good enough at keeping the ball. Right? I think I think we ran into this problem a lot in their two legs with Chelsea, where every time they tried to build out and play on the counter, Saul and, and Koke were giving the ball away, right? And making it very easy to be pressed. And that's, that's, it's going to be such an, such a struggle. I think these last, this last, um, what, six weeks here, six to seven weeks here. Um, I, I, I'm losing a lot of faith in them, obviously, because of the results. I, some part of me feels like there's they're gonna find a way, but now it's gone from a situation where at one point they could have gone thirteen points clear at the top to a virtual toss up between them, Barcelona, and Real Madrid, and that is not a situation where, as an Atletico fan. I would like to be in because now it's just going to come down to pretty much quality and they're not going to be able to just defend this lead anymore. Right. It's going to be able, it's going to take actually going out and winning the games and which of these three teams is going to be able to control games better. And if that's the question, Atletico ranks number three in those in, out of those three teams in, in which you're expecting to actually be able to control and manage games. It's weird to say that for a Cholo Simeone team, right? But you need to score to take control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that the thing is that they pride themselves on, you know, two, three years ago has been kind of the one nil score lines. That's not really happening anymore. A, mainly because you don't have a source for goals right now with, with Suarez's injury. But secondly, you haven't proven that you can keep the ball out of the net. You You just, you haven't so much. Especially this year, I would say in 2021. So I'm nervous for Atletico. I really am nervous. And it is a virtual toss-up for them. I, I, Quite honestly, I don't think they win at the weekend against Real Batiste. I don't think it gets ugly for them. At some point, maybe the bad run has to stop. But yeah, I, I think we're... I'll hold off on my league prediction. I do have one in mind. But I'll hold off and I'll give it after the Barcelona section because... And it'll it'll obviously involve Atletico. So, Rian, let's take a break before I go on a rant about my beautiful my beautiful club team. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back talking a little Barcelona to wrap up the La Liga part, and then we'll uh, do a quick roundup from around Spain, and then one or two things around Europe too. But Rian, let's start off at the weekend where Barcelona barely on a Monday night <laughs> crept past Real Valladolid, not Real, excuse me, Valladolid, who sit close to the relegation zone right above it. And this could have been a game that Barcelona dropped points. I mean, I'm going to be honest. It was pretty slow and sluggish performance. I was, I'm really, really hoping it's a one-off from the international break. It was, it, it just looked lethargic. Honestly, I think I used that word in the Premier League pod, but yeah, it was not it was not overly impressive. So I was just happy to see two things happen. A, no one get hurt, and B well, I would say three things. A, no one get hurt. B, Messi or Frankie De Jong not getting yellow cards, because if they did, they would have been out for the Classico. And three, definitely happy to see Dembele get a goal. I mean, he is just Oh been, yeah a new person since he's been fully healthy. Like he deserves it. Yeah. I mean, he, yes, he missed so many good chances during the PSG game. We know that I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because the man is literally just still 23 getting up into kind of where we should see that elevation of performances right into player's career. But I really do think that we'll start to see that now because he's playing consistently. So there's, I'm just happy. Everything that happened in this game in terms of outcome, I'm all right with. Moral of the story was the game was not all that. 
yeah, Barcelona did not look that impressive. They did even let Valdely through on about two or three occasions. And again, could have fully, fully been uh, drop <laughs> points. Yeah. I mean, it, it literally came down to the last minute, as we saw, obviously. But you just got to feel good about Dembele. Like you said, it, he looks like he looks like the player that, that we saw at, at Borussia Dortmund. Right at the end of his yeah. at the end of Borussia, his um spell at Borussia Dortmund and what got him to this or what made Barcelona want to go and get him and pay and pay the fee that they did, right? And he looks like a guy who, similar to Asensio, just trusts his body right now, and he has trusted his body for the last like three months pretty much, and and he looks like he's very confident in his fitness and obviously very confident in his play, right? It, you would love to see his finishing get better. He, he, he just—that's the next level for him because he does everything else so well. He does all of the hard parts most of the time too. He does the hardest parts of getting in front of goal, and just leaves a lot to be desired in his finishing, of course. But still, a fantastic player there, and especially yeah. the relationships that he's forming on when he's on either side really, but especially when he's able to play on the side with Sergino Dest, right? And you can see, like, a good relationship being formed there in the final third. And, is it, I mean, a hard-fought win for Barcelona, of course, right? But at the end of the day, they they pulled out the special moment that was necessary, right? Yeah. And, and I know that the the keeper maybe could have done better on the on their belly shot of course but he still has to get that volley right he still has to put it on frame it was it was sweet yeah and and that's kind of the difference right now between barcelona real madrid and and atletico and for for the atletico side atletico not being able to produce those special moments which as we've spoken about before every goal Every goal in soccer needs something special to happen in the build-up or the actual shot itself. And Barcelona and Real Madrid have the players that have the talent to make that special play happen, right? Yeah. And from the Atletico side, we're not seeing that happen enough. And at the end of the day, like it, it's kind of it's kind of a, a, a good argument point for your for Elias's Kind of feeling that just talent shines through, and and in a way, yeah, that's that's what happens on most goals. Like something amazing happens, and that's the reason that the goal happened. I mean, oh, there's always obviously tactical tactical things that go into it, of course, right? But the actual execution, it has to happen. It has to be executed perfectly most of the time to score a goal. And Barcelona and Real Madrid are are getting the execution parts right. On, on a more consistent basis right now than, than Atletico. And, and it's what makes Barcelona really dangerous in the league right now. And, and almost, like, almost should be considered favorites. Um, I think for this run in. Yeah. I, there are a lot of people out there that I do think consider Barcelona favorites. They have not lost a, I mean, a league game this year in 2021, which has been, Oh my God, for my mental health, astounding. Just, oh, best year ever. <laughs> Not actually, it's still been <laughs> shit with COVID. But yeah, there's a lot to say about this Barcelona team. And I think the one major point that you made about execution is really what I've taken away about this team over the last four months, I would say. For the last three years, this team, I think, has had a mentality problem. And I mentioned this a little bit last weekend, or last week. This team has suffered from suffering on the field when they're pinned back, when there's almost a feeling that they cannot escape, that they're being overrun by teams or really coming up against any challenge. It's almost like this team collapses. And this year has been a complete 180 from that mentality. See Anfield. I think that's a great example of where that happened. I, I think, I think this team's completely turned that around. They went to Paris and dominated that game. They came back against Granada in the Copa del Rey to now reach the final. They put Sevilla up against their backs in, in our game against them in, in the Copa del Rey as well. So 
I'm honestly genuinely impressed with this team's ability to turn around games and to step up when it's needed. That's not something I've seen in years. It, Lord knows Valverde was not known for that. And I, I, I'm not going to go shitting all over him. I'm just pointing out that there was a very much a correlation between almost the the mental and physical trainings that he ran versus Komen, but neither here nor there. But yeah, so the the one thing that I, I appreciate that Elias refuses to die on that Valverde <laughs> Hill, the guy who still is the only <laughs> manager since Pep Guardiola to win back to back La Liga titles. I, I just wanna I the hubris with Elias to 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 still absolutely slander this man's name is impressive honestly i'm not i'm not slandering i think there were just there were deeper problems that needed to be taken care of in this team that coleman mentally i think has has started to 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 gather and to to solve in some ways i think a large large part of that is playing the kids playing the youth um it really does like genuinely give me warm vibes whenever i'm able to talk about the fact that Sergio dest is training with Lino messi like that's it just warms my heart. So Ricky Pooj, Ricky Pooj with the with the game winning assist. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's this new team. That's the core of this new team moving forward. And I just hope Messi wants to be a part of it <laughs> come the end of next month. So that's when we'll really know. But more importantly, Rian, in the short term, we said we'd talk about it, so we have to talk about it. El Clasico. How how are we feeling ahead of this game? I'll I'll toss it to you. What are your thoughts heading into this game? Obviously, both teams really, really strong. It's kind of a toss-up in some ways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is... When we think about it, this might be the best run of form either of these two teams have been in all season. Right? I think this is the best they've looked all season, which... You know, without I mean, a perfect, doubt, without perfect a time, Perfect time to be peaking, right? Which is in the run-in for the, for the end of the season, right? But... um. So the last the last Clasico was uh, Madrid win. What feared me the most from Barcelona's standpoint was how easy it was to play through the middle of them in that game. And I know that was also a big issue for Real Madrid earlier in the season too, without Ramos, without um, Modric and Casemiro at times and, and Benzema up front. But this is a game that should should be amazing. It should be amazing because of the stakes and like I said, because of the form that both of these teams are coming into, but Real Madrid still without Sergio Ramos in this game. And granted it made no real, um, no real uh, negative effects against Liverpool. Um, Obviously that was helped with one of Liverpool's defenders. (laughs) That's literally assisting Marco Sensio. Um, it was a great assist, let's be honest. It was a wonderful ball, but from Trent. See, that's again, that's all he needs to be in the team. He's we'll play those, but um, <laughs> um, I think it, I think that I will give a slight edge to Barcelona almost entirely because Sergio Ramos is not in this game, and I don't think that um, Militao and um nacho were really threatened much by liverpool through the middle i mean the second half was much better from liverpool and they put more pressure on but um i don't think that they were tested that much and i thought casemiro was amazing in that liverpool game and, and really shows how underrated he is i think as a top defensive mid in the world like i, I think it's hard to point out three players in that position that are better than him in the world. So I I think a lot of it's going to come down to, is he going to be able to effectively shield that back four for Madrid? And how do they deal with the wing play from Barcelona, which now with this new formation, the 3-4-3, so much damage coming from Jordi Alba, and Sergio Dest in the wide areas, right? This will be a big test for Lucas Vasquez, defensively, I should say. I, I think he's been very good for, for Madrid filling in for Carvajal, which is something I just wouldn't have expected in, in, in any world, right? But um, defensively, this is going to be really, really big test for him. Yeah, this is what tactically I'm really interested about. First off, I'll say 
I would agree with you that Barcelona are ever so slight favorites. It's not it's not a massive amount, let's be honest, but they are ever so slight favorites. I think because a they're probably not as fatigued as Real Madrid. Let's also be honest, like the Liverpool game definitely took a lot out of their gala eleven. And number two, I would say that not having Sergio Ramos and playing against a three five two slash three four three. It doesn't do them a service defensively. Here's what I mean. From a fullback point of view, and you just brought this up, you're basically, you're outnumbered when you're defending, if you're out, from Real Madrid's point of view. If you have Lucas Vasquez and, let's say, Mendy will probably start um, at left back, not Marcelo. If you have those two, you're going to be up against a combination of Serginho Dest and Dembele, or... Griezmann and Alba and potentially Pedri, who might be marked by, let's say, Tony Kroos or Casemiro. That's generally going to be a situation that you'll take if you're Barcelona because no one's covering Messi. <laughs> like there's, there's a very obvious point here that I did not mention Messi's name because he's not covered. So <laughs> I, I'm very curious to see how it tactically plays out. Like that's the way my head works, but I'm fully expecting Real Madrid to play with a 4-3-3, that they, especially the one that they played against Liverpool. Pretty much, I'm expecting the same 11. Like that's the, I don't think that's going to change. But the one dark horse, which I don't know, I'm, I'm honestly, I have to say, a little worried about, because I think he's found his form, Vinicius. I did not rate him a year ago. I really did not. And in some ways, I don't. In some ways, I still yeah. don't. Because he's just finding his finishing, his finishing like skill set. Yeah, but he is a special player. I, I have to admit, I think I was wrong about him. I mean, I don't even know if I feel like I was wrong about him. I don't even know if we were necessarily wrong about him. I, I, I think were, were we biggest, anything about him? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think, I think our biggest gripe was the end product. No, like that was that was always it. Mm-hmm. Like he gets. Mm-hmm. The pace is electric, obviously, and his dribbling's fantastic. He he really, I mean, everything was really going down from the left side of, of Real Madrid, and that was a very obvious game plan to go down Trent Alexander-Arnold and Nat Phillips' side of the field. But he was electric, and and his touches are fantastic. His touch for the for the goal for the first goal, I think it was right from Cruz, where I mean. I mean, we we don't need to say much more about Tony Cruz like that. That we 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 don't. But I want to having gone back and just watched that goal like four times because I I love the ball that Cruz played. But I'm gonna throw in a but. If you don't mark a top class midfielder yeah. within ten yards, he's gonna be able to play that ball. He's gonna so. he can hit that. <laughs> I I think he can hit that ball. Almost no look if you're giving him that time. I think yes. that, I think that you give him that time, he can play that every day of the week and and i mean that that's obviously the i mean a liverpool were masters of their own downfall for a lot of that game i think but especially the first half was abysmal was just like i think probably the worst liverpool performance i've seen like under klopp um for a first half so in any case no vinicius i mean the end product that's what brings him to another level and and it's why we should we should be patient with him anyway because he's still correct me if i'm wrong elias he's 20 maybe he is maybe he 20 is, yeah basically <laughs> mbappe's age yeah and and look that the f- finishing is is extremely difficult for me for me and i think in general for people to kind of analyze in terms of can someone get that much better at finishing right and and it doesn't take just just practicing kicking a ball into a net you can do that as much as you want but there's obviously other parts of some kind of black box that there is with finishing <laughs> that that we can't really like totally figure out and totally just teach right but, sure we can only hope that it's finishing. Well, at least may not hope that it's finishing gets better, but <laughs> I do not. <laughs> but, but from a Madrid standpoint, they can only hope that the finishing gets better because he has everything else as an attacker. 
right? And if we can see more of what we saw against Liverpool, where his first touch was unbelievable with like his chest shoulder combination there and perfectly in stride and, and, and he puts it away and then his, he gets a brace too. So uh, it, he's someone that should be a bit of a worry for, um, for Barcelona, because especially when you're playing in that three back formation and you have the wing back, the space is there in those channels in that in that area behind the wing back, especially on Serginho's side, who I think we can be comfortable in saying he between him and Jordi Alba, he's he's the worst defender out of the two. And I think that's the area that you can see Real Madrid trying to exploit in the same way that they did against Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah, in the same way that PSG did as well, probably right. against Barcelona as well. I do think that having the three in the back will hopefully prevent against Dest plus right center back Mingetha being <laughs> destroyed. I'm hoping that it's literally a numbers game that works, but at the same time, it's, it's a worry. So Rian, who, I mean, who do you think comes out on top? That's the ultimate question. Yeah. So I'll, I will be so fascinated to see what this game looks like if we get to the 70th minute and it's still a draw, right? I'm extremely excited to see what that looks like because, uh, like we mentioned earlier, like a draw would be the best possible scenario for Atletico Madrid, right? I think at the same time, a draw in this game is not the worst thing in the world for both teams, especially considering Atletico's form. But... Man, I would love to. I, I really would love this game to be drawn within the last. I mean, be drawn or tied going into the last twenty to twenty-five minutes. Mm. Uh, to so see you, how the teams you react. Support, so you're saying you support me having a heart attack? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is, uh, exactly. Basically, four twenty and four forty p.m. Exactly. Eastern daylight time. Exactly. Okay. Um, <laughs> good yeah. But uh, now, to answer your question, though, I I think Barcelona comes out with a one goal win whether it's 2-1 or 1-0 we'll see but I, I yeah. think Barcelona just edges it here but I I, th- I feel like it's going to be a late goal no matter who wins it that's interesting I I think that it will be something like a 1-0 or 2-1 as well I feel I fully agree with the, the rationale the one thing I don't know if I agree with I think that there will be an early goal I think that there will be could be both. Like, like I th- it could be, it could be. I, I, <laughs> I, think, I think what's going to happen is this game is going to start out ridiculous. Like I think, like there, it's going to be end to end first fifteen minutes, and then everyone's going to come down and say, okay, let's see, let's settle in, let's not go crazy. We still have the league to fight for, and then the last seventy minutes, something like that might happen. Or the, in the last seventy minutes. Uh, 70th minute onward that's yeah last 20 minutes thank you <laughs> um oh god I, i'm i'm very nervous the one thing that i will say because i said i mentioned at the beginning before i move on la liga as a whole i do think that my current prediction now is match day 37 which is the second to last match day in la liga barcelona win the title that's my prediction just throwing that out there you think you think that it goes down? I think it goes down to the final day as well, too. I, I find it could. It, hard it could. To, I find it hard to. I would be very surprised if if any three of these teams are are in a position by the final day where where the result doesn't matter. True, true. That's entirely possible. Well, I'm not. I'm not very excited for the end of this La Liga season. This is gonna stress me out, but. Rian, let's move on to the European roundup and talk about, quite honestly, an unfortunate incident to start. Racism. Um, I, I don't really know where to start with this one. I feel like I've, I feel like we've talked about this in so many different storylines over the last year and a half that it's just it's frustrating. Like I, I don't really know what to say what else because. There's a blind ignorance, I think, in parts of Spain to this and kind of a, if you close your eyes, it's not there type of mentality. But for those who don't know, um, or Valencia defender um, Diacobi 
was racially abused over the weekend against uh, a Cadith player. And during that game, basically called him the tra- like the rough translation from Spanish to English is like black pig or black, like derogatory kind of phrase in, in Spanish. And Diakabi clearly was visibly upset by this. And you could tell that something had happened. Valencia as a team, I have to applaud, collectively walked off, did not come back. And they were in the tunnel. And one of the Catholic players went to Valencia, one of the Valencia players and said, you know, will you come back if, you know, the player that said what he said uh, apologizes? And the Valencia player rightfully said no. Now, where it gets a little hazy is about five minutes later, Valencia as a whole team come back onto the field, and Diakabi is actually subbed off. So it's a little unclear because the protocol is very interesting. The referee doesn't have any sort of jurisdiction to say this game must continue. What the referee can do is say, you guys will potentially lose points if you do not choose to go on. But he doesn't have the right to say you have to go on or take away those points. So there are different parties or different stories coming out, but Diakabi apparently told the Valencia team to go out and play the rest of the game. Now, he obviously wasn't included in the rest of the game, but... That is the story in the party line now. And Diakabi came out with his own video and Valencia came out with their own statement saying, we, we don't believe what the Kadith player, very strongly, honestly, uh, what the Kadith player said. We should say his name, by the way, Juan Cala. Yes, thank you. Right, Juan... the, the tweet literally said from Valencia, we don't believe you, Juan Cala, who said yes. after the game that it was blatantly false. He did, you know, the thing that uh most racist people do where he said uh i have black friends and black teammates so i'm not racist also there's no racism in spanish sports there are five or six black players on each team yeah yeah therefore it doesn't exist which is again very backwards logic when you really really think about it for more than about 10 minutes so yeah that that's the story as is there has not been a specific punishment that's been handed out to uh one carla but yeah that's where we're at that's i i have to con- condemn it obviously that's stupid for me to even say but i have to kind of applaud valencia for how strongly they really came out and just said basically a massive f you to to him so um and they really stood up for diacobi so it's just a shame it's just it honestly is just a shame yeah it's as much as it's nice to see some of these teams, especially in England, where they where they do the kneel before the game and all that stuff. I mean, we're still getting every week hearing about a black player on a team, most times, most of the times a big club, after a poor result, getting racially abused on Instagram or Twitter or whatever social media device. And to the point where so many of them now have turned their comments off on that and, and to be put in that position position where you have to isolate yourself on a platform that is specifically made with for the purpose of connecting people. It's, it feels like, it just feels like an uphill battle. It feels like Sisyphus trying to push the rock up the hill every time with this stuff. Right. And, and it's like, as perfect much... analogy. <laughs> Thank perfect you. Analogy. I mean, as as much as we try to do all this stuff, kick out racism, end racism now. Um, I mean, all the gestures are, for the most part, with good intentions, of course. But everything that we're seeing, like empirically, in terms of what's actually happening, even with all of this quote-unquote um awareness that is being shown for it it at times like being um a black person feels like with all this stuff it feels almost hopeless and i and i really feel for uh diakabi because i think we talked about this back when there was the the incident um with the chelsea and tottenham game last last year with antonio rudiger where just like these guys are they just want to play soccer. They, that's all they want, and they don't—they don't want to be out there as like a, 
as like a token or some sort of like identity politic shit, right? Like they just want to play a game that they love playing and a game that is supposed to bring people together from all different walks of life and different countries, backgrounds, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still finding the same social issues that they find off the pitch on the pitch. So it's, um, it's all very, very depressing, of course. Right. Um, and all we can do is hope that the governing bodies of these leagues and FIFA themselves give a shit enough to actually take real action. But the history tells us probably not. Yeah. And uh, if you read Kevin Prince Boateng's article that he wrote maybe about a year ago, I might be dating myself in The Athletic. He talked a little bit about a racist, racist incident that he encountered, I believe, in Italy, and it went viral. And, you know, UEFA and FIFA got involved, and they started the Say No to Racism campaign. And about a year, a year and a half after that, they disbanded the committee on this and said, you know, we achieved our our goal. And Kevin Prince Boateng was like, what? <laughs> no, no, you did not. So as long as people keep almost showing face with hatred, like this is something so deeply rooted in yourself and your being that you feel to bring this out against people that just want to play the beautiful game. You've got your own problems until that's that internally is solved. Get some therapy, man. I don't know. That's ridiculous. So I don't know, Rian. Maybe let's move on to, to more happy things or more actually insane things. Um, <laughs> talking about the Champions League this past weekend, I just want to touch on PSG Bayern. Like, what a game. What an actual game. Bayern had 31 shots XG <laughs> of like four. PSG had an XG of like two. Uh, a One big goal. FU. A big FU to the XG, of course. But also... <laughs> Also, I mean, the, 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 this Bayern team is not invincible, as I think we, we kind of realized from a lot of their games this season in, in the Bundesliga. Well, itself, right? well, but, well, Holton. Okay, if I, sorry, I should say, I should field, say. You're having a different conversation. <laughs> okay, I, someone brought this up during that game yesterday, <laughs> too. I, I said if Lewandowski was on the field, yeah, they might win 4-3. They probably still concede three goals. And that's the difference between this Bayern team this season and last season, right? And it's weird, too, because it's a lot of the same defenders. It's almost entirely the same back line and and same defenders available. And all that's changed, for the most part, is their midfield does not include Thiago anymore. And I I don't want to, like, throw out this thing that he was like the most valuable player or anything right but it might be more of like a player of that ilk and that function is kind of the big difference right now from them because they're still playing that super high line which of course PSG with (laughs) Neymar and Mbappe are gonna try to exploit as like plan A right and Bayern have shown this season that they are not as well adept at dealing with that, at dealing with the the runs in behind and, and the high lines. And, and players on the other teams are simply finding more time to play that ball over the top and, and play it through and play the through balls itself, right? And I don't know how much of that has to do with Tiago not being in the team itself, but I think overall the issue is that they're not smothering teams with their press as much as they did last season. And look, we saw the perfect example of that in the Barcelona game in the Champions League last season where that press was absolutely terrifying to watch, right? But they're not as effective at it this season. And 
when you play that super high line, as we touched on early, early in the season, that kind of risk reward concept, right? Of playing that way. There's a lot more risk now when they're not actually able to cut out the passes, right? So it, it was a wonderful game. And, and Byron will feel very, very hard done that they did not win that game, especially considering the first goal that PSG scored, right? Like, uh, yeah. you'll see that once every two years from Neuer, like a shot <laughs> right at his abdomen and ends up going in at the near post. So like, and ultimately, that kind of set the tone for the game where PSG had like three or f- three or four really, really, really good chances. And so we shouldn't say like they were half chances and they just kind of like snatched at them, right? Or they or they just kind of made something out of nothing, right? They were really good chances. All the goals were were in positions where you might expect the players of their quality to score, right? But uh, at the end of the day, that was it. That was. <laughs> those were all of their attacks and they scored on almost every single one of them um, yeah yeah i mean obviously Lewandowski was a big miss like 31 shots <laughs> 31 <laughs> shots is just like uh, that, those are funny numbers like, yeah <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say this like man city it's a will shot be, every three minutes yeah like... <laughs> i mean man city will be praying that psg get through with those <laughs> with those yeah. stats yeah no i think city would eat psg alive what the the other thing that I realized about PSG during this game, the reason why they're not doing well during Liga or in Liga, I mean, okay, well is relative, but the reason why they're not running away with it is because teams defend so compactly and so differently against this this PSG side, knowing that the pace of Neymar, Mbappe, even Di Maria and Icardi in some ways, that's enough to put a def- like a back four, back five off. So the way that they're defending Liga has made me realize like different, different vibes, just all over different vibes. Yeah. And I think, and I think that game uh, before we, before we move on to the last thing here, like just showed the worth of Marco Verratti on another level. I think him being at PSG for as long as he has, it has like wonderful for him in his career. Obviously he's made, it's made, more money than a lot of players at big clubs will make in their career because he's playing at PSG. Yeah, he's doing but, all right. <laughs> but um, I think in terms of like his actual reputation, it it sucks that he is not normally put on like that level because I would also put him up there with Casemiro in terms of like the last five years or so as as one of the absolute best defensive mids in the world. Right, and you can just see his worth for that team, especially in games like this where they had a lot of trouble keeping the ball. Idrissa Ganagé, he's this is this feels very disrespectful, but he is not that far off from Fred. Honestly, I think he's he's better defensively, but in terms of keeping the ball and passing, <laughs> he is not that far off from Fred. Right, and. Leandro Paredes is, has been has been great in at moments in this season, like and has been great in in a few games. He was great in the Barcelona game, of course, but um, they need Marco Verratti to be an a legit Champions League threat because they can't control the games in the midfield well enough without him. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree with a word you said, so I won't even go over it. The one thing that I just I'm just curious about, I wonder how Pochettino's feeling right now. Like he is, he's never been in a position where he could go deep in the Champions League and know that he could go deep in the Champions League. I mean, like getting to the final was a fluke, quite frankly, for Spurs <laughs> a few seasons ago. Yeah. Go deep so, and have the talent to actually win it. Yeah, right? like you, you're talking about potentially winning it. So I'm wondering if how his coaching style fits into that that mentality at PSG. I I, I don't think it. I don't want to say I'm like he's he's going to sit here and crumble or something. That's not my point. Just. Coaching wise, I wonder how that plays out against Pep, maybe in the final, or yeah. against uh, I don't know uh, Tuchel. I didn't say that, but you know some <laughs> others might. Anyway, neither here nor there. So, Rian, let's move on to the last point that I wanted to touch on. Going over to our friends in Italy. Wow, Juve have won the title for the past was it five seasons? Maybe more. 
Um, I believe it's the last eight. It is the last eight. You're right. The last eight seasons. Currently sitting basically around the, the bottom of the Champions League spots. Yeah. <laughs> not not doing great. Um, 12 of points course, off of first place. <laughs> yeah, they're very far off first. Of course, Inter going on an absolute tear in Syria after almost being humiliated out of the group stages of the Champions League, basically. Complete yeah. turnaround from now a Lukaku who has 20, I believe, 20-plus goals on on the season in Syria. And Lautaro, who has seemingly found his shooting feet again. Are Inter on track to win Syria? Or they are absolutely on track to win. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're talking about a team that is 11 points clear of second place right now. Right, and won their last ten games in a row, including only one loss since getting knocked out of the the Champions League, and only two losses in the season itself. They have lost to Sampdoria, and their other losses to is to AC Milan early in the season. Look, they, uh, can you believe it? An Antonio Conte team that was out of the Champions League started <laughs> looking um, like just absolutely went on a tear. Uh, can you believe that <laughs> happened? <laughs> You don't seem bitter um, at all. No, 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 not bitter at all. I mean, I think it was predictable, <laughs> honestly. Once they went out of the Champions League, that should have been when people started throwing a lot of money on them to win <laughs> the league itself. Because one yeah, game a week with Antonio Conte, mm -hmm. they're spending four days on tactics. Two days conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> and and then they're just going out for the game and um and then vibes. No, no, you, yeah, vibes. <laughs> I mean you can't say you can't say enough. Like they've they've been in control in almost in a lot of these games and, and Ramu Lukaku himself obviously like you love to see it. I love to see like players just Finding their levels feels like almost disrespectful sometimes because Syria, Syria is not like some low level, like low, like no level yeah. than, than um the Premier League itself, right? right? You might say like you might say maybe they're mid, they're bottom table teams, lower to, to bottom, mid to bottom table teams might be weaker, of course, right? But right. that's purely a money thing. But Lukaku has been fantastic this season and i think it helps a lot that he's playing with lotaro martinez and they have formed an unbelievable relationship over the last two years and this is kind of the culmination of it right and um okay it'll be a big summer for him i mean belgium will be one of the favorites at the euros this summer especially if they're able to i don't know somehow employ a shaman for Eden Hazard's legs and and find a way to just <laughs> just keep him healthy. Um yeah. but really hats off to Lukaku himself, especially for rehabbing his image, quote unquote, which I don't think he needed to that much. It's just a change of scenery that worked perfectly for him. Um and Antonio Conte for again showing that if he's just given one game a week. He, there's there's almost no one better than him. There's, there's no one better than him when he just has one competition to worry about and um and can really like drill every single part of his like craziness into his teams and, and that resiliency <laughs> and um all the great teamwork that we see a lot from Inter because I've seen I mean there's been a few goals where just beautiful team goals, butter beautiful team goals. Yeah, the counterattacks are so so good. Um, yeah, this this is a this is a wonderful team. Obviously, a wonderful coach, and the, the summer is going to be extremely interesting for them because you'll have to look at Lukaku, especially will probably be the the target for at least a few teams that are looking for strikers and. The I hope he doesn't pickings. leave. I, will I hope he honest. doesn't leave too. I I really hope he doesn't leave because I think he can become a legend at Inter. Yeah, and he could go on and score. He could score twenty goals a season for the next three seasons if he stays yeah. there. Honestly, so um, I'm rooting for him, especially even even <laughs> as a as a former Chelsea Academy grad <laughs> himself. Like I I do really hope the best for him and. Uh, 
uh, I'll always love Antonio Conte. You know, no matter what happened at the end of the Chelsea with Chelsea, <laughs> like he's a wonderful coach, and and you gotta love the passion. Oh, it sounds like a goodbye letter, but maybe it's appropriate <laughs> enough because I think that's the last thing we had to uh, to cover before we wrap up. So, thank you as always, everyone, for listening. And uh, I am very nervous to tell you my classical thoughts <laughs> next week, <laughs> amongst other things. But yeah, I realize that Ellis did not give us prediction. There. I mean, you don't for have what? to for the for the for the Classico. Yeah, I did. I said I agreed with you. I oh, think the two oh, yeah, one yeah. one. You said you said early goal. Like, you said early goal. Yeah, yeah, I think early goal. I think early goal, and then maybe a late goal. I think it's going to be very cagey. But yeah, there you go. If you didn't hear it already, if you're Rion and you literally <laughs> watch me record this, so anyway, thanks guys. We'll be back next week. Thanks guys.